We're looking at Daniel 1 uh, this morning. Great and wonderful passage in this Daniel series on being in exile, what it means to, what it looks like for us, and what it means to be in exile. And uh, with that, let's read our text. Daniel 1, verses 8 to 21. Great story here. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has signed your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than all the youths who are of your own age, so that you would endanger my head with the, uh, with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, uh, uh, whom the chief of eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servant for ten days. Let's be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them uh, and this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief eunuchs was brought in to them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. Or they, uh, therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first, king, uh, first year of King Cyrus. A wonderful passage in a longer conversation that we're having about what does it mean to live as an exile in this world, taking Daniel's example of living as an actual exile uh, from his, in his world. Um, First, let's have a little bit of background of what this, uh, where we are in this story. So last week, Anthony preached. He, he talked about how the, fa- the fact that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came into Jerusalem, conquered it, brought, the, brought those guys back to, back, back to Babylon, and there they sit, uh, uh, waiting and thinking. And, uh, and these three, or these four actually, uh, were brought into the king's court uh, to become, become his men. Now, which king is this? Nebuchadnezzar, right? So this great king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, powerful, uh, conquered Babylon um, and uh, displayed his might there and, and, and captured the people. Um, but this was done for a purpose, right? Uh, it was, the, the exile was done for a purpose, uh, and, and that purpose was to, for, for Judah, for the Israelites, to remember who they were uh, before God. Israel had, or God had given lots of prophets in all the books previous to this. It was prophet after prophet. Remember, remember, don't forget, listen, honor, worship. And they didn't remember, and they forgot, and they didn't honor, and they didn't worship. And God used, almost as an act of grace, uh, this captivity, uh, allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in, capture them, uh, functionally to teach them, uh, to teach them as a lesson. So the king, um, so Nebuchadnezzar did not conquer Jerusalem, but really, uh, what happened here is God gave Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar. That lesson um, is helpful to remember as we're reading this text, and it's especially helpful to remember because chapter one has two bookends. 
the first verse and the last verse. The first verse says, there's this guy, he's Nebuchadnezzar, he's conquered Jerusalem. The last verse, let's read it, of Daniel 1, verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So Daniel was there in this courtyard for all that time. Who's the, who was Cyrus? Cyrus was the king of, of uh, Syria. Syria is the one who came in and conquered Nebuchadnezzar. So the conqueror gets conquered himself. God, this kind of this rotating door of uh, teaching a lesson that God is using here. Uh, God brought, sent his prophet Isaiah, kind of like Jonah went outside of Israel and, and uh, uh, with a fish and, and prophesied to, the, to, to those people in Nineveh. Same is true with here. Here, Isaiah was sent to Nebuchadnezzar himself, and he said, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, this is not, you yourself have a problem. You, you're getting uh, uh, a little too full of yourself, and you're thinking you did this. And he gives this fourfold rebuke, which is just great, in Isaiah 10, 15. He says, shall the axe boast against uh, itself against him who chops with it? Or the saw exalt itself against him who saws with it? As if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up, or a staff could lift it up as if it were not wood. Uh, God here saying to Nebuchadnezzar, remember who's in charge. I gave you the power. I can take it away. Humbling him uh, before God's sight. Uh, he gave him the right to conquer Jerusalem. He gave him the right to bring David, or rather Daniel, into, into Babylon. And that's why that last verse is so interesting. Because it is the... It is the bookend of Daniel's life, after which everything in the rest of the book comes after it. The lion's den and the fire and the writing on the wall, everything you're going to be hearing about in the next few weeks are in the middle of, 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 of chapter, what happens in the middle of chapter 1. Daniel makes his way all the way through, all the way through his conqueror and on to the next one. So he's kind of, it's kind of double exile in a sense. So with that said, and kind of having that, that, that kind of big picture of, uh, of where we are, um, let's back up and, uh, and look at the story itself. What's up with the vegetables, right? How did, what, what, what happened here? How is, how is this, uh, how is this, um, this work, how does this work out? As with Nebuchadnezzar getting judged, as with Israel getting judged, this is all by God's design and God's power. The power here, if anybody wants to change their diet, is not in the vegetables. Oh, that is, that's not a bad thing. The power is not in the vegetables. The power is not in the drinking wine, in, in not drinking the wine. The power is in God's allowing Daniel to, have, to find favor in sight. Where is that verse? Um, nine, verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. It was God's control, of, God's control and God's leading uh, through, through all of this uh, that allowed Daniel to, um, to find favor in the sight of the eunuchs. And even showing grace in the middle of it, right? He, he, you could imagine the person who is in charge, the steward who is in charge of Daniel, when he hears Daniel's request, he's immediately thinking of his own head. In fact, he says it here, right? He's like, oh, I don't know. If I let you do what you want, I got to go tell the king, and the king's going to come, and you're going to be, you know, weaker than, than everybody else, and he's going to ask me, and I'm going to say, I don't know, they wanted to eat vegetables. And I'm going to lose my head here in the process. And, Dan, and Daniel gives him an out and gives him, shows him grace here. And he starts in verse 12. He said, listen, here, let's try this. Test us for 10 days. Give us, this, give us these things to eat. And then, and then check in with us and see if we're doing better or worse, after which, you know. So it's this 
play, I think, between assimilation, Daniel who didn't want, refused to assimilate, but he did identify, he did engage, right? He didn't, he didn't keep Babylon, I mean, he's in the king's court for the, in the, for the first place, right? He didn't keep Babylon at arm's length and say, I'm not having anything to do with you, nor did he embrace it fully and eat what everybody else ate and do, did what everybody else did. That dance of our relationship, we'll come to that later, but that dance of our relationship to the culture around us, which is so, uh, so difficult. So Daniel extends this grace uh, based on this principle uh, from Jeremiah 29.7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Right? Daniel's desire is to engage but not embrace uh, the, his, uh, the, his host country, so to speak, um, and uh, from where he is. Um, Daniel, um, uh, how then do we understand our role in the culture around us? We are too also set apart, right? We're set apart from this culture. We, it, 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 there is uh, a, a definite distance uh, between us. We find ourselves as Christians, living in 2022 Pennsylvania, uh, exiles in the country that we are living in itself. Uh, C.S. Lewis, Tommy quoted from C.S. Lewis already this morning. Um, C.S. Lewis says, We live as Christians, or rather he says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Right? We are made for something outside of what we see around us. We have, as Philippians 3 says, <coughs> but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have dual citizenships as believers, right? We're citizens of our host country, our home country, or in some cases countries, and we are part of a heavenly kingdom as well that sets us, that sets us apart. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. We have been called chosen people, the royal priesthood, God's people, uh, and, living, and, and living with that distance, living with that reality uh, is our understanding as a Christian. Living in this invisible world, but yet living really in an invisible world. We're living with one passport that you can see and one passport that you can't see. One citizenship that we, ha- that we have all around us and one citizenship that we don't have. Reminding ourselves this is what we do on Sundays. This is what, this is what we do as a, as a part and as a family of, uh, of this church, is reminding ourselves that, that these people here and the brothers and sisters in Ukraine that met uh, seven hours ago in those churches and our brothers and sisters in Venezuela, are we on the t- same time zone, that are probably meeting right now, um, and all the other countries, we have a real actual connection with them too, right? We have a relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world, in a similar way, we have a relationship with, uh, with other citizens of, the, of, of our country, in our case, uh, America. We have a new, identity, a new identity which makes us exiles in the world we live in. So how do we do that? That's the question, and that's not an easy one. As, a missionary, as missionaries, as I said a second ago, we were in Ukraine for 20 years, our goal is to, as much as we can, become Ukrainian, become like the host country, give up our own identity, 
and embrace that identity. So what we did along those lines was when we had new team members come to the team, uh, we, did, we had done a cultural survey, and we had, a, um, had asked a whole bunch of Ukrainians cultural relevance questions, things that they consider culturally important for them. And we took the results of that survey, and, we, um, uh, and but there was a, a long list of categories that that, that that survey was in. We asked Ukrainians, who do you think is the most popular or most important, for example, artist, music band, folks, what folk songs do you consider just essential, uh, literature, important landmarks, geographically, poems, Soviet films, modern hymns, modern films rather, people who change history, who are the people who change history? And the last one, which I always thought was the most, most interesting one, what event do you remember that you remember it so well that you can picture yourself where you were when it happened. So for us, it might be a 9-11. Everybody, most people, although, geez, 2022, so almost all the people uh, here remember where they were when 9-11 uh, happened uh, and, and, and stuff. As you would imagine, Ukrainians' uh, answers to that question were different than Americans' answers to that question. Uh, no Ukrainian remembered where they were when JFK was shot, when Kobe Bryant's helicopter crashed, or man landed on the moon. They did, however, remember. Some of them so clearly, they remember what they were wearing and what the colors of the wall were in the room that it happened in when Boris Yeltsin stood on the tank and the USSR collapsed, uh, when Yuri Gagarin became the first man in space, and of course, unfortunately, Chernobyl. Right? These, these are the things that make Ukrainians. These are the events experiences that make the people um, and help them understand the world that they're living in. So what we did, we took the results from this survey, 15 pages, lots and lots of stuff, and we gave it to our, to our new team members. And we said, here, do it. Read the books, watch the films, experience, you know, read about the experiences, um, listen to the music, and so forth. In an effort to not become Ukrainian, I'll never, become, I'll never be Ukrainian. I wasn't born there. Russian is a second language for me. It'll never be a first language. Ukrainian is a third language, and it's never going to be anywhere near the other two. Um, but our goal is to be, our goal as missionaries is to be like them, not to assimilate and take a, take a nationality, take a, take a passport, uh, but to understand, identify, respect um, the, the, the host country that we were living in, in as, in a way, exiles. Um, we do this to show our love for Ukrainians to, in order to present them uh, to the gospel. How do we do this now? I'll give you one, it's just a token example that in, in, in my life and in, in the way that I think about this. There's a play, uh, Spotify, the music streaming app, has a playlist called One Billion Streams. It's all the songs that have been streamed on Spotify over a billion times, six hours and 15 minutes worth of songs. And I've listened, last year I listened to this playlist a number of times. A billion is a lot of people. I mean, it's a lot of people. A lot of people that listen to these songs. Or maybe a few people listen to them a lot. I don't know. But anyway, you get the idea. They're important songs. I did them, I did this, not because I wanted to uh, expose myself to new music and see what I might learn and so forth. I did this because I thought, you know, how do I engage with the culture around me? Well, if a billion people are doing something, it's got to be important, right? I mean, it, it, it is a cultural um, moment, a cultural landmark uh, that we can understand as, as believers. Um, and 
I think it's a token, uh, you know, probably a token way for me to respect, love, and understand the culture around me. I found some really good songs, but that wasn't the point. Uh, the point was for me to understand and love the world that we're living in, um, in this, in this uh, assimilate, but yet, but, but yet uh, disti- um, not assimilate, but yet um, uh, engage uh, the culture around us. Maybe a better example for us to help think through this would be like a grandparent's relationship to their grandkids. Grandparents love their grandkids. Grandparents sacrifice for their grandchildren. Grandparents give time and talents and energies and do everything for their grandparents, parent, uh, grandchildren. rather. But in the end, they're not theirs, right? They're different. There's something between. There's something, in this case, parents, between the grandparents and the grandkids. And we see, you could see on one hand, if the grandparent would, there wouldn't be any line, dotted or otherwise, between the grandparent or grandchildren. That's unhealthy, right? We, we, you know, the, 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 a child would have four parents instead of two, all the decisions, all the, all the processes and so forth. Um, and on the other hand, grandparents who are completely distanced, arm's length, uh, judging, blaming the, 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 uh, the parents is not healthy either. I think that that spectrum can help us in our understanding of the culture around us. We, um, on one hand, having no line, dotted or otherwise, between us and the culture is not, uh, is not what God calls us to, and not Daniel's example here. Um, there is, uh, having no distinction, no difference uh, between us and the culture around us is not healthy in the way that the grandparents did. And in the same way, having uh, keeping the culture at, at arm's length, talking about it as them, uh, talking about it as something completely foreign to us and bad, blaming, judging, is not healthy either. Right? We uh, are to be engaged, um, engaged in uh, the culture around us. The, on that spectrum, um, we have to find the sweet spot in the middle, which is identity in Christ and which is our life in Jesus, right? That is incredibly difficult. Living in this invisible world and visible world at the same time is, 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 yeah, incredibly difficult, but it is in fact exactly what God calls us to, right? It, it, to, to find this, um, to find this sweet spot in the culture because in the end we're playing for a different team as well, right? I think politically you can see this as well. On the left, uh, people would, you know, are frustrated the change isn't coming quickly. On the other hand, people on the right feel that we're losing something around us. All those debates, conversations, votes, elections are incredibly important. But we're on a different team as well. We need to remind ourselves, and it, could, it should temper our relationship with those, that whatever worst-case scenario is on our mind of what might happen to this culture, or my goodness, in Ukraine, even in the next few days, although hopefully Putin won't invade during the Olympics, but, at, you know, but even the next few days or after the next few days, uh, having an understanding that it all goes away, the worst-case scenario happens, Christ is still in control, his promises are still true to his church, and I think that may... It's not dismissing, is it, right? It's not d- dismissing saying, oh, therefore we need to, you know, I don't know what, move to Montana and completely keep everything at arm's length. Not that. Nor is it to say there's no line between us and the culture around us. It's finding that sweet spot in Christ in the middle. For those of us for whom this is a hard challenge, 
including myself, because the culture and world around us has not been kind to us um, and has hurt us and has let us down, I think the same exile thing works in the reverse as well, doesn't it? Um, there is a hashtag on Twitter, uh, like a tagline on Twitter and lots of other places in social media, but I've seen it a lot on Twitter, and it's hashtag, I hate it here. It's usually someone who shares a news story about oppression or, or an experience with abuse and, 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 and so forth. And it's often meant politically, but it's, it's sometimes, uh, and they say, you know, hashtag I hate it here. And by here, I think they mean 2022 America or, or you know, or like right now in this cultural moment or something like that. But I think, I think if you press them a little bit further, you could help them to understand that the here is a little bit more expansive than they think. We're talking about not lowercase here, but, cap, uh, but capital H here, right? That this, that, 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 they're, that, they're, that they're pushing against and their anger with the society around us is, in the end, pushing against and unhappy with the human condition, with the brokenness of the world, and, and moving, us, moving them and us toward that. People who have experienced injustice People who have been hurt by or just tired of two years of pandemic. Who's not tired with themselves and everyone around them? Um, hurt by the culture around us. I think the good news as believers here is that we can agree, we can agree with the I hate it here hashtag, right? But, our, but because we have another option. We have, we have another kingdom uh, that we are part of. We're tired of the same things you're tired of. We're tired of the injustice, the inequality, the hate, the selfishness. But the alternative is not the dark road with no hope. The alternative is, 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 is not, the, the end is not in darkness, uh, but in fact in light. There is a different purpose and a different world. It's really, really hard to live in an invisible world. But I suggest, and I think, it's harder to live in a visible world with no hope, right? Where everything is broken around us. So the message to those of us who have been hurt by the world and are just don't want to, don't want the you know playlist on Spotify don't want any of that is there's there there is something besides this world too right that's the, the two sides of the exile coin uh, that we all constantly need to remind us of did I skip a slide here no Second uh, Peter three but according to this promise we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're all waiting for the same thing, right? And we all, to some extent, hate it here uh, in the sense of this broken world that that, that we're living in. That, I think, is the message uh, of Daniel for us. We have, in the end, we're living in this world, but we have a Savior from it, we have a purpose beside it, and we have a hope above it, something else for which uh, which we live, which, which the citizenship in this last slide just pointed us to. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors, um, wrote everything I just said in summary, and I think said it very well. He said, the optimist's pleasure was prosaic, about his uh, conversion to Christianity. The optimist's pleasure was prosaic, for it dwelt in the naturalness of everything. The Christian pleasure was poetic, for it dwelt in the unnaturalness of everything, in light of the supernatural. The modern philosopher has told me again and again that I was in the right place, but I still felt depressed. But I heard that I was in the wrong place, and my soul sprang for joy. 
I knew now why grass had always seemed to me as queer as the green beard of a giant and why I could feel homesick at home. The point is, uh, not that this world is too sad to love or too glad not to love, but the point is that when you do love a thing, it's gladness or reason for loving it, and it's sadness, is, I'm sorry, it's gladness is a reason for loving it, and it's sadness is a reason for loving it more. This is what we are called to as believers, to live in this invisible world um, as much as we live in the visible world, to engage, uh, not to assimilate, but to engage because we have a higher hope. Let's pray. Lord, as we seek to do this, which is in fact the impossible, uh, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us, uh, that you would give us your Holy Spirit to help um, temper our feelings for this world around us, anger or joy, um, that you would help, that you would give us a hope beyond this world, and in that same, t- in the same time, be able to engage with, love, and respect uh, those around us and and the um, the world that, that we live in. Pray, Lord God, for this in my own heart and in my own life, and in all of us, uh, that new life would uh, be, in fact, a city on a hill. Pray this in your name. Amen.